My friends, what lays before you is the myriad knowledge of an unfathomable universe. Join our intrepid remembrancers as they explore the heresy as history. From deep within the farthest reaches of the great library of Tiska, we are the Heresy Grad School. So said the War Master in his wisdom. Go forth, my sons, and illuminate them. Hello and welcome to Heresy Grad School, where we cover the heresy as history, and we do the research so you don't have to. In this episode, we're going to be covering the Alexandria 4 incident. This episode features numerology. What the heck is that, Jason? So, numerology. It's also called arithmancy. It's the belief in the occult, divine, all that mystical relationship between numbers and coinciding events. So, think of it like the study and the science of numerical values, like an alphanumeric system in all things, like of the letters in words and names. So essentially they read things out of alphabet soup. Sounds fantastic. Absolutely. All right. So awesome. Let's see. What else is going on? Well, this battle features epic clashes between the Thousand Sons and the Emperors. Of course, we are all Thousand Sons loyalists, true and true. Well, some of us are true loyalists. Some of us are others. We're loyal to a thing. Right, to one or the other. We all agree, though, Magnus was wrong. Um, <laughs> so there's definitely a lot of familiar faces baked into each one of these exemplar battles. And this one, all of our keen listeners and readers who've probably gone through this and picked through this, because I know we've got a lot of them out there that like to pick through the lore, may have recognized Arcasid Nasu, who's a custodian of Vidias, Aleph's Solidarity? What the heck is that, Dave? Well, Pat, the Vedius Aleph Sodality is... All right, so I can't speak Latin. <laughs> okay, Sorry. It's all right. <laughs> um, actually, it's, it's pretty interesting. Sodality is based on a medieval Roman Catholic sort of semi-religious brotherhood. And it kind of came about during a time of persecution for the Catholics, and then it sort of took off from there. And it's interesting because I think if you look at the uh, custodians, they're sort of formed around this idea of, you know, an emperor and whether or not he's a god or not, right, remains to be seen. But Arasid Nassau, if you are familiar with book seven of the Black Books, the Horse Heresy and Book Inferno, which was an amazing production. He features in that as well. He is a warder of the Vault of Rython, which is a subforce of the Custodian Guard that during the Great Crusade and Horus Heresy were sequestered. It's kind of rumored that they were maybe deployed deep within the Imperial Palace, probably near the Golden Throne, which accounts for their black armor. When they're depicted in any type of like color plate artwork, their armor is black, which could be because they're just standing too close to the golden throne and all that golden light is just kicking back and tarnishing their beautiful plate. So that's kind of interesting because like, I wonder how long or how far past the heresy these guys are still around for. Cause I don't know it just a slight non sequitur with something like, I know Dave, you've and Jason, you guys have probably read the carrion throne series. Like, yep. I wonder if they'll make an appearance in that. Because I know they, of course, it's all based on Terra or based in Terra. 
just, you know, maybe that series might get into more of the sub characteristics of custodies or subgroups of custodies that are still around. So, yeah, just an idea. Pat, there's also the only other character that's mentioned by name in this whole Alexandria incident is a Nell maiden by the name of Kenisha or Kenita Yell. And that's it. Nothing more is known about her. So we only get two character names in this whole Alexandria 4 incident, Exemplary Battle, which is interesting. One we know a little bit about, definite Easter egg. The other one we haven't heard of. So maybe we'll get more from the Null Maiden Kenita Yell, but so far, nothing. Yeah, which is surprising because, I mean, I feel like a lot of them we've heard things about or they're already teased either in a black book or in some form of black library writing. But definitely interesting to always see, like, just a name. I'm like, okay, what are you thinking here? What's going on? What type of sneaky things are you trying to sneak in here, AK? Yeah. Rest in peace, of course. But, you know. Indeed. Okay, so let's take a slight step back from the specific of people who are there, of things going on, and let's take a broader view of, so when are we? The year currently is 12M31, so we know by that Horus' armada is essentially streaking straight for the soul system. Rust went toe-to-toe with Horus, jabbed him a little bit with a pointy stick, didn't work. Made man Horus, he's not going anywhere. And then Dave's favorite little factoid is the largest battle of titans the galaxy has ever known is throwing down on garment so then where are we with this battle so everything else is going on in the cosmos we're at exandria 4 which seems to have come into being sometime before the publishing of the big as dave likes to call it the big nat geo map of the entire system and believe me that map is gigantic. Listeners, you can't see it, but Dave is currently pulling out the entire map. I'm really surprised he hasn't had that framed. Oh god, that is bigger than I thought it was. Because listeners, rest assured, if there is a map of it out there, Dave has it. Oh yeah, guaranteed Dave has the map. I do love me some maps. I mean, we've seen so many amazing, we've gleaned so many little tidbits of knowledge from maps that we wouldn't have known. Right? I love that there's just a planet out there in the Imperium called Baka, which, you know, is Japanese for idiot. Yeah, nobody knew it was there. It's fun times. Yeah, I mean, we learned a lot about the coordinate deeps through maps that Dave found. If you guys remember that series, make sure to go back through our catalog and look at it if you hadn't. Shameless plug. All right. So our, our custodian friend, and I swear I'm just going to ruin his name every single time I talk about him, Arsid Nassau, who's the custodian of the very long word that Dave already said. Um, And the warder of the vault is there. So the warder of the vault and Dave, feel free to chime in with this. The warders of uh, Rython were kind of like the sub force of custodies, right? So like, do we have a reason why their armor is black? Or do you think it's just kind of like a color scheme? Or like, is there some type of like, for instance, ultra means have red because they're sanctioned, that kind of thing. You know, you were talking earlier about one of the books that I think Chris Rate was the author of, probably either um, Watchers of the Throne or... Yeah, the Carrion Throne. The Carrion and there's Throne. a bunch of other ones, yeah. And they did talk about actually a group of custodians that were sequestered in the throne room and... Their armor was sort of uh, tinged black or had been 
oxidized or burned black, and it was the proximity to the emperor or the golden throne, either one. And so that was my speculation there. I wasn't just completely making that up. But yeah, I have no idea. I think it's interesting that, you know, much like Prospero, this mission was given to the custodies, like it couldn't be trusted to anybody else, right? Like the imperial fists were going to come in as like kind of, you know, the backup or the heavy hand, but ultimately it was put in charge. It was given to the custodians. So I think an interesting sort of handshake to maybe the burning of Prospero. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think, and we'll get farther into the battle itself, but I think, like you said, it leans into the whole fact that with the burning of Prospero, the Imperial forces were well aware of the amount of psychers, were well aware of how well they operate. And so you have a full complement of Null Maidens. You have the entire strike force of, of Custodes or Brotherhood just to deal with, never mind Prospero, now this small planet of Exandria 4. But let's go ahead and break down the story a little bit. Jason, you want to take us in? Yeah, because uh, Exandria 4 here. It's almost like their uh, backup drive, right, for the Great Library of Tisca. This is the place where the Prospering Thousand Sons have not just backups, but it's almost like a secondary repository for information. And of course, after the Space Wolves, you know, wiped out Prospero, the entire operational capacity of the Thousand Sons is basically like cut drastically. So after that, they were operating almost in the same way as the Raven Guard, Salamanders, Iron Hands, Shattered Legions is the term I am looking for. And they have like, you know, those tiny little splinter warbands that get together and do the best they can to push towards some of the objectives, maybe their own objectives, maybe objectives of their overall side. Maybe they're just trying to survive. A whole lot of variation, just like in the Shattered Legions. So it's pretty interesting, too, because outside of Prospero, Exandria 4 is probably the closest to what the Thousand Sons would consider an ideal world. It's one of the first brought into compliance by the Thousand Sons after they find Magnus. So it's kind of like a monument to what the Thousand Sons can do when they bring compliance to a planet. And it's neat because this was the first planet they built themselves from the ground up after compliance and they've got these massive data vaults they've got these enormous pyramids just like on prospero and it's also the home base of the numerologists from the order of ruin and the order of ruin is very unique in the thousand suns it's one of the red orders one of the specialized sects, just like the Order of the Jackal, that deals with many, many of the medics and apothecaries. The Order of Ruin is almost like a mirror of the Mechanicum. You have the Thousand Sons, who are the Forge Masters, the Smiths, the Weapon Makers of the Legions, and you also have the Siege Masters, the Thousand Sons that are specialized in destruction, similar to like the Order Reductor. And this is kind of their home base of information offsite of Prospero itself. So do we want to take a second there and like, let's take apart some of that. So we have this, let's call it a perfect world for the Thousand Sons next to Prospero, of course. Right. Minus the Sinuans, when any brain parasites. There is that one sharp upside. Yeah. Everything else is great. We got sand. We got pyramids. We're good to go. And then 
the order of ruin i'm trying to think off the top of my head jason are there any well-known members of the order of ruin i'm sure there are <laughs> now dave is a little bit better for this because you guys have both read the Araman series in 40k i have not so one of the main or well-known members of the order of ruin is ignis who's known as the master of ruin so he's an adept of the order of ruin so he actually joined Araman during the heresy and he essentially helps him during the heresy he's trying to reclaim the different shards of magnus and like he's probably the best known member of the uh, order of ruin that i can think of so yeah no i think you know now that i'm thinking about it he might be the only member of the order of ruin that we know by name but somebody will have to uh correct us if we get that one wrong you know the order of ruin they were the logisticians they were the navigators they were the siege masters they were the ones that call back to the opening of the show they did the math for the uh, legion so they worked out all the arithmetic that went into the plans that were gonna be brought into fruition during these huge compliance missions that the thousand sons were sent on but they were also interesting because they were the ones that escaped so when you think about Prospero, most of the Legion was centered down on Prospero. But there was this huge fleet that was up in orbit. And right before the punitive fleet shows up to burn Prospero down and everything goes sideways for the Thousand Suns, Magnus sends this telepathic communication up to the fleet that says, just scatter, right? And they're like, okay. So some part of the Legion just scatters and we can kind of, I guess assume that there were many members of the Order of Ruin. So it kind of makes sense that in the wake of Prospero and the wake of sort of the loss of central command and control, they would go back and try to kind of recreate what was Prospero and build back this technological data stack of all of the forbidden lore that had been accumulated by the Thousand Suns. It's interesting. Yeah, I mean, because if we... Prospero was a giant library, essentially. A giant library with huge warriors that could use their brain. and You know what else was a giant library, Pat? What? I'm not even going to say it. Jason? What's that? Do you already, Pat, you already said it. At the beginning of the episode, you didn't even realize you said it. Alexandria, just saying. Oh, God. I walked right into that one. <laughs> of Sorry, course. Couldn't, couldn't leave it. Yeah. I mean, it makes perfect sense. And any good IT guy knows you back up your work. Exactly. So do we want to talk about the conflict itself? Uh, what went on with boots on the ground? Sure. So what I kind of find interesting here is the custodians almost use the imperial fists in a similar way, because this is essentially like a mini burning of Prospero, you know, take two. They use the Imperial Fists in a way that very closely mirrors how the Space Wolves were used in the first Burning of Prospero. So they push forward, they take the brunt of almost everything. They break into like the giant armored pyramid in the center of the town called Janeira, which, let's see here, that's the peak that rises beyond in the Prospering language. You know, very flowery. Very level. humble. Very, very yeah. humble. It works on two levels. <laughs> <laughs> but this is kind of the capstone of this massive underground complex 
which the Imperial Fists do not have a great time trying to fight their way through to get to the data vaults underneath, which is, of course, where all the most forbidden lore is. You know, they can't just keep it in the top. It's got to be, you know, in the lock boxes at the bottom. Well, yeah, it's got to be safe somewhere. Where else are you going to put your server room? Come on now. Right. Got to keep it chilly. Yeah. So essentially, it's, a, it's like the custodies are, I mean, they're joining in the fight pre hitting the main pyramid. But it's very much it feels like let's use the fist as a fist as the spearhead first. Right. And I think they use very similar tactics, again, just in miniature as they did on Prospero, because they try and disperse the Silent Sisterhood, but they can't be everywhere at once. And even if you do cut off a Thousand Suns connection to the warp, sisters are highly trained, but mostly unaugmented mortals. You know, a Thousand Sun is still a massive augmented Astartes. With a bolter. Yeah. You know, Jason, I was just thinking about why I take the Imperial Fists with them when, you know, they took the Space Wolves with them, right, the first time. And just thinking, they probably didn't have that many other options, right? This is 12, M31, Horus's Armada's already broken into the sort of outer reaches of the Soul System, Beta Garmin's going on. I mean, the Imperial Fists were probably the only Legion left in numbers that could accompany the talons on this sort of really it's not even a punitive expedition it's more like a search and destroy or raid because i think malkador who dispatched them because you know the emperor is kind of locked in the the vaults right he's locked in the dungeon at this point he can't i don't even think he can get off the throne that's an interesting i don't when's the last time the emperor got off the throne circa master of mankind (laughs) and that was for like 10 minutes right yeah, he's been sitting there for a while. So clearly Malkador is the one who gave the order, whether or not the Emperor communicated it to him or not. And we know Malkador and Rogaldorn, they're like bros. So Best buds, go on camping trips, you know, the whole deal. That is a good point, because pretty much the only legions that haven't been reduced to like a fraction of their former size, because if we think about that, definitely not the Space Wolves, because this is post-Wolfsbane. Right. So, and at the beginning of that book, the Space Wolves were running on fumes. They have fragments of a legion at best left. Then the Raven Guard, the White Scars, Salamander's Iron Hands, again, same deal. They have just been put through the ringer. So wait, have White Scars been put through the ringer considering... Oh, definitely. Okay. Because if we're talking about, like, this is the final year-ish of the heresy, the Khan, once he finally got out of Chondax, finally passed the Alpha Legion circa Wolf King, mm-hmm. and finally got past the Death Guard through the Path of Heaven. I mean, he has, like, a fifth, maybe, of his Legion, and the White Scars weren't a huge Legion to begin with. Right. Now, the Dark Angels and the Ultramarines are still pretty large in First Wall. Dorne and Malkador talking back and forth mentioned that if they can make Horus waste enough time, that Gulliman essentially has a legion to match in size any of the legions Horus has at his command. And the Dark Angels are essentially the same, just in the opposite edge. So it's kind of a uh, sort of a race against time for Horus. So yeah, 
like Dave said, the Imperial Fists make perfect sense because they're really the only Legion that can basically have dudes to spare at this point. Yeah, I do find it interesting that, and we'll probably never get any more of a glimpse into like far into like Malkador's thoughts, but it's kind of like, why send a Censure Fleet now? Like, yes, it's defended right now slightly, but it's not like a fortress. It feels more like an outpost. It feels more like a satellite. Like, yes, there is so much data in these data looms under these pyramids. But at the same point, it's like you have a entire force of traders barreling down towards you. Like, what's the thought process for, eh, pardon my French, eh, fuck it, let's go to light a library on fire um (laughs) i guess at this point it's more what's left of the thousand suns have undoubtedly sided with horus at this point because it's definitely touch and go there for a while nobody's really sure magnus didn't really even want to side with horus and i think kind of at this point he's almost in the same position angron is he's not so much with horus as he is against the emperor so magnus has sided at least with horus at this point and i think think of course i'm not malkador but if i were my thought process there would be that you don't want the thousand sons to regain any sort of toehold on being the concentrated threat they were before the burning of prospero because that was one of horus's main points in sending the wolves to fight the Thousand Sons. He wasn't trying to wipe out one or the other. He was trying to reduce them both to almost non-existence because they were some of the key threats starting out. Right. And playing on that animosity of Russ's legion towards any form of psychic discipline, except for their own storm chieftains or whatever flowery Viking language we need to use to cover up the fact that they still use psychers. Storm speakers would be white scars. We're thinking speakers of the dead. Whatever they call their psychers. Like it's not like a librarian. It's something else. I'm trying to remember. But regardless, like it's Horace's brilliant play of playing on two brothers that already slightly distrust each other. It is two brothers. Yeah, I guess in that regard, that kind of clears up that idea of like, yeah, let's make sure they can't return to any type of former glory after the burning of Prospero and before, you know, essentially the siege into the soul system by this point is inevitable. The Space Wolf Psychers are referred to as casters of runes. Oh, (laughs) all right. So they have their fortune tellers. Definitely not Psychers, though. No, can't be Psychers. Definitely not. But yeah, so I guess, you know, the whole point is to like, let's make sure they can't get back to their former glory. Of course. And if all it costs is like a couple thousand Imperial Fists and half a dozen Custodians, that's probably worth it, right? Eh. Uh, But doesn't go that hot for the Imperial Fists. Uh, I don't think they're ready for the Thousand Suns. Kind of has a little bit of back and forth going on. Yeah, so I mean... From here, so, you know, you've got the Imperial forces just kind of slamming in into the city. They've knocked down the main doors to the pyramid, which I thought was funny because they talk about the imagery on the doors of like the emperor of mankind giving knowledge to like a base human or something to that effect. Right. Uh, Trampling the relief that once bore the image of depicting the emperor bequeathing knowledge upon an ignorant humanity. There you go. Yeah. It's a metaphor, you guys. Like, 
I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Ember does not want you learning anything. But uh, yeah, Dave, you want to tell us about uh, Siege in these data looms? I've heard good things. Well, it doesn't go well, as you may expect. The Imperial Fists and, you know, what's left of the Sisters of Silence, I guess, get down to the final server stacks in the bottom. And just as the moment they're going to kind of hit the upload button, right, and take all this knowledge and data, a group of Sekhmet Terminators manifest right in the middle of this dungeon kind of room. And they come out of this portal that only the Thousand Suns would be able to create. It's just a psychic teleportation array that is able to transport a whole cabal of Sekhmet Terminators into basically what should have been an impenetrable space. And then it really goes south for the loyalists. So all of a sudden, right, they think they're right, you know, where they want to be and the casualties have all been worth it. And now they're fighting just Sekhmet Terminators and getting pushed back through the halls that they moments earlier were advancing through. And yeah, it's a bloody trail of retreat for the Loyalist forces back into the square. But not only that, Dave, like you have, so to kind of go back and preface what Dave was talking about, this whole cabal showing up, before that you have the Imperial fleet up above because there isn't really a, a fleet engagement going on. The Thousand Suns don't have any fleet right now their psychers start getting this phenomenon of like seeing carrying brightly colored carrion birds and flesh burning and things like that. And within an instant, an entire thousand suns fleet just appears out of nowhere. And then we see, or we read about this phenomenon of like this great surge of psychic energy. And then suddenly the doors to the data looms open up and you've got like Dave said, you just have Sekhmet Terminators just showing up like combi bolters in one hand, swords in another, just wrecking face. Yeah, because at this point, the Imperials are thinking, what, like a couple hundred guys that have been fighting for days already are stuck in there like tops. But unfortunately for them, that is not the case. Pat, you made a great point about the flotilla of, of warships. And I, I just want to go back and read this. It says, a hazard flotilla of warships and escort vessels consisting of void craft registered to the Thousand Suns expedition fleets during the Great Crusade. So clearly, these ships have not shown up together, right? right. This is very reminiscent of Armon. This is very reminiscent of some of the plot lines that run throughout that series by John French, which is an amazing series. But it's this idea that really after Prospero, the Thousand Sons have become this splinter group of almost war bands that are following, well, cabals actually, that are just following psychers, right? This is pre-rubric, but still you can already see the fragmenting of the Thousand Suns. And the fact that there was even a haphazard flotilla of warships that showed up, I think speaks to some level of cohesion and command and control that really we didn't think existed before this in the heresy. We certainly didn't have any lore that would have spoke to it before this. Right. And especially for a legion that has been so shattered, like you said. I just love the fact that they call it a haphazard flotilla of warships that were registered and 
listeners, you can't see me, but we're all on video, and I just air quoted registered. It's like okay. you yeah, can, hear. you know, the imperial uh, boat stops you, and it's like so. Uh, says it's registered to the Thousand Suns. Yeah, you know, they just owe me a few bucks, and I'm borrowing the car or borrowing the Gladius frigate. No big deal. Well, that is one of the things that I like they touch on and kind of foreshadow a little bit with the numerologists. Again, one of the very specialized sects of the Order of Ruin. Numerologists are known for being staggeringly good um, tacticians and statisticians, and that they can communicate and coordinate actions over incredible distances. And that's one of the things that their order is known and both uh, kind of equally celebrated and feared because they are such preternaturally, you know, aware and communicative strategists. Yeah. So here we are. This haphazard flotilla shows up. We have now thousands of Thousand Sun warriors where there is thought to be only a couple hundred stuck behind a door waiting for Miltas to take it down and take them apart. They're pushing the loyalists up and up out of these catacombs, out of the pyramid. It's a bloody, awful retreat, because as we've already talked about, there's not a ton of Imperial Fists. And let's be honest, they can't spare so many custodies and sisters for this thing. So, And they don't really have that many options for defensive barricades or anything, because they've spent the last three or four days kicking it all down on the way in. So at best, they've got you know, burnt husks of tanks. They're being pushed back out into the square that four days ago they were destroying the planetary militia and waltzing through all of the mortal reinforcements to get to this Thousand Suns Pyramid. I do think it's interesting that we do... There's a section when we're talking about... It's a great example of why the thousand sons were so powerful they talk about oh well the imperial fists and the custodians barely have any cover whereas you have thousand sons just walking out in the middle of of essentially this now no man's land but they can do this because of their kind shields right that amount of power yes there are no maidens around but still like these are psychically shielded warriors that can take direct fire from bolters and things and keep on going yeah coordinating between them and the rest of the numerologists and where it ends up being, I don't know if you'd even call this a Pyrrhic victory for the loyalists because they do end up chasing the thousand sons pretty much off of Exandria four, but the numerologists managed to get all of these massive like person sized server stacks out pretty intact into waiting Thunderhawks, Stormbirds, Storm Eagles, and pulling them into orbit. Yeah. A fine Pyrrhic victory for the Loyalists. Great. They essentially get a uh, abandoned husk of a world, and uh, Thousand Suns get their uh, hard drive. Because, <laughs> Dave, what do you think? Because is this even a victory for the Loyalists? Because, yeah, they did kick over Exandria, but now they don't even know, like, this information has basically scattered into the winds. They have no idea where it is now. Yeah, I totally agree, Jason. I, I don't think this can be classified as even a minor victory for the Imperial forces. I think the Thousand Suns clearly just didn't want to stick around and they had gotten their prize and they had gotten away. 
and the Thousand Sun fleet had driven off the Loyalist fleet. They couldn't even resist the dropships that were coming down. So yeah, I think there's no question that had the Thousand Suns wanted to stay and stick it out, they could have probably just continued to burn out the Loyalists and destroy what elements were left. But they didn't want to. They didn't need to. They got the knowledge they came for, and they spirited it off away to who knows where. That does seem like a very um, pragmatic Thousand Suns way of looking at it, right? Like, eh, we can rebuild pyramids anywhere, but you know, <laughs> we got all that uh, spicy forbidden knowledge. That's the important stuff. That's right. It also speaks to like their once and how they operate as a legion almost, if you think about it. Right. Like they aren't the ones to go straight into battle and to continue the fight. There's a lot more strategy and tactics at play than most other legions. Whereas, you know, I feel like if you take any of the other traitor legions, they probably would just stuck it out, dealt with the attrition and tried to beat the Imperial force. Right. But I mean, it does make sense at this point, because from an overall point of view, it's a couple thousand Imperial fists at best, a few custodians, a little cadre from the Sisters of Silence. But overall, it's not that much of a detachment. So I can definitely see why the Thousand Sons would have considered spiriting that knowledge away far more beneficial than taking on and wiping out just a minuscule fraction of the Imperial forces against them. And I might point out here, too, the Thousand Sons did not instigate any of this. They were just hanging out on Prospero 2, like reading novels and like playing video games or whatever. Writing their fanfic, not bothering anybody, but yeah. no. So in this case, Magnus may or may not have done anything wrong. Anything Actually, wrong. no, Magnus didn't do anything in this case, which is great. because Yeah, Magnus didn't do anything. No one should ever let Magnus do anything. Show up. <laughs> <laughs> but oh. Parasid Nassau definitely did something wrong. Yep. And that was messed with the Thousand Suns numerologists. You know, for all the credit that we give Malkador for being sneaky and smart, wouldn't this have been a much better mission for like the Knights Errant, Garrow, uh, Garrow, and and those boys, and then they're the one Sister of Silence that um, kind of converted over. Right. This would have been a much better mission for them to kind of go infiltrate. It does seem like it'd be. Because the second the numerologists knew this massive ham-handed imperial fist plus custodian force was incoming, like clearly it took time to orchestrate this. It took them three days minimum to, you know, coordinate all this. But with something like the Raven Guard even, yeah, might have been a better choice. It might have been difficult to round enough of them up because there are not a whole lot of them left. But yeah, it does seem like Malkador was working with what he had at hand and Imperial Fists were at hand. That's it. It's what, dude, when you got a hammer, everything's going to look like a nail, right? Right, right. <laughs> In this case, he decided to hit an anvil and well, you know, that didn't really work out well. Did not work out well. 